Good morning, and thank you for joining us at West Tonka at Bush Lake. Those that are online, we're glad to be all together as one today. Hope you're having a great morning, had a great weekend. Last night I was at a wedding, and uh, to hear the dad speak about his daughter getting married, I don't know what it is about dads, but boy, our connection to our daughters is really special. And he had a highlight reel of her life, and he could hardly get through any of it. He was breaking down left and right. It was amazing. They were cheering him on. You could get through it. But I started thinking about the reality that we all have a highlight reel in our lives. I have a highlight reel that I will see in full someday, as will you. And in my highlight reel will be the goodness of God seen in the stories of my family, of my friends, and of you. Your stories will be in that highlight reel. And there will be stories of baptism that are in the highlight reel. It's the highlight of the Christian life all around the world, reminding us that God is indeed on the move. I've had the privilege and the roles that I've had in ministry throughout my ministry career as a mission pastor, especially for a decade, where I've been able to travel to 55 countries. I've seen people baptized in almost all of those countries. And it is the highlight of my journey, of my life's journey. They will be in the highlight reel of my life. And we're mindful right now that as we begin this fall season, that there are many new people who are coming. In fact, we've grown almost 30% from a year ago. And people are coming, and we give thanks to God for that. We're glad that you're here. We're thrilled that you're here. But we know we're coming from different backgrounds. And we thought, why not start the fall year just giving some clarity to who we are at Westwood and we're doing this series called Offering, and it's not about your financial resources and offerings. It's about our faith offerings unto the Lord, the foundational things that we believe as a church called Westwood that we practice related to child dedication. I gave energy to that last week. Um, baptism, I give energy to that this week. And then to communion, because in church history, we have differing views, and it's just good to get clarity there's no judgment. I feel like we want to bless the body of Christ in all of our shapes and sizes everywhere, but we also want to bring clarity to who we are and why we practice what we practice. And so to help me in that giving in, as I said last week, um, and I'll do it again even now because there's always new people coming in every week. Last week I talked about child dedication, say we practice child dedication, not infant baptism, but we know the majority of people that come here come from a faith background where you practice infant baptism. So I asked last week, I asked again, raise your hand if you come from a family background where you were baptized as an infant. You will see. Yeah, it's well over 60% of those that are here gathered, and I'm sure at West Tonka and Bush Lake and online, it's the same scenario. So we just want to bring cl clarity to why we practice what we call believer's baptism. So just to launch it, I thought maybe a story would be of help. The story of a friend, a friend and a family that will be in my highlight reel. It already is in my highlight reel, Tom O'Brien. And you can hear some of his journey. So come on up, Tom, and would you welcome Tom O'Brien as he just shares for a few moments a little bit of his story. Thanks, Thank you. Tom, for the day. You've been giving yourself so beautifully all day long. You've been here actually a long time. How long? Uh, 22 years. It's a long so time. So we started yeah. in the high school. Yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah, I said earlier that I was in high school when we were at the high school, and he quickly he was, he was lying. clarified he was totally lying. that it that's not true. He threw me off with that. That I, is fair. In high school. In high school. And uh, your family's been here with you, too. It's been such a great journey. But just, just give a glimpse of a little bit of your journey of faith. Sure. And you talked about highlights. So I'll give four highlights um, from my faith journey. Just 
uh, growing up and my college time, meeting my wife, and then how Westwood has played an important role here. So um, I am so thankful for my family. I had great parents, uh, three um, great siblings. Faith was very important to me. So like many of you, I was baptized as an infant. Um, growing up, I just, I thought, um, I, you know, I heard that saying, work out your salvation. So I thought, you know, I was just hoping my credits were going to outweigh my debits when it was all said and done. And um, a lot of pressure. Yeah, that was, that was. So thankfully, um, late in high school and my freshman year of college, this idea of accepting Christ as my personal savior, having a personal relationship with him really took root. I gave my life to Christ as an 18-year-old and then was introduced to Bible studies and an understanding of God's grace that really uh, was much deeper than what I understood previously. And now I know that was God really preparing me for this next highlight, which was meeting my beautiful wife, Nikki. So a few years after college, I met this woman who was beautiful, funny, and just had this incredible light of Christ that she that shone through her. Um, you know, the guys in the room understand that concept of out kicking your coverage, and uh, <laughs> that was it in spades. Yeah. I think you did too, by the I, way. But <laughs> I did. That's for another discussion. So. Um, so things were, were great between us. Frankly, the most uh, difficult part of our relationship was just we, we grew up in very, very different faith traditions. And so after a while, after we had been married, we started coming to Westwood. Um, and there was something. I, I laughed and cried at just about every service, and I kind of still do that uh, to this day. Um, our kids liked coming here. We got involved in kids' ministry and VBS, and it was a great experience. But for me, faith tended to be just sort of baby steps, you know, a few yeah. steps at a time. Yeah, and I've been able to walk with you through a lot of that journey and know Nikki, and she does have a radiant beauty of Christ in her life, no doubt about it. Four kids, Megan and Lauren, Kristen and Caitlin. Yeah. I always think of little Caitlin, but she's really a teenager now. So. Yeah. Keep moving along. So you weren't in high school. When no, okay, that's fair. And, uh, <laughs> I love your family so much, Tom, but I've watched you go through your journey. I've seen the tension of trying to figure out coming from different faith traditions, and we need clarity to navigate mm -hmm. some of that. And even though you've been here a long time, you were just baptized this the last Easter, and um, in, not alone in that, you had two of your daughters join you in that. But I don't have pictures of the daughters, but here's uh, one of the pictures of Tom. I just... Love this picture. He's coming out of the water. Just the victory of understanding the new life in Christ. And then this photo also that you have related to um, you and Pastor Kevin smiling there. One, because you're celebrating the joy of your baptism, but also the fact that you're alive. Well, it was, yeah, it was a lot of joy. But okay, truth be told, I did email Kevin beforehand. I said, look, my daughters are pretty tiny, but I'm not. So I said, I'm 6'4 and pounds. <laughs> I, I underestimated the number I gave him too, so I just wanted to make sure he could do it. So that was both of us sort of being relieved that uh, he was able to, to accomplish it. He too. got you up. Yeah. It was an effort. I was though. hoping he might have Joe Jackson nearby just in case. Yeah, right, right. Our student ministry pastor, he could have done it too, but we got you out, and that was a great thing. But 
You know, I think about this journey that you've been in and this baptism you went through after all those years of just dealing with the question of it. How did you go about finally making that decision? Well, as I said, I was baptized as an infant. I candidly didn't really think I needed to get baptized. And then through some of your teaching, through uh, reading in the Bible, I just got really put it on my heart. Uh, and then I was so moved every time I saw others, like you said, when I saw others get baptized, uh, I went to an Easter baptism service. I, I saw people, uh, acquaintances that I knew through work and see them making that public declara declaration. So yeah, just a mere 37 years after giving my life, life to Christ, I made that public declaration. And Are you glad you did? I, I'm ecstatic. I'm, I'm so glad. I just, it's hard to explain, but I do feel God's presence in a deeper way. And um, we had a wedding this summer. We've had a couple of graduations. There have been some things. I just really needed God's strength and have felt that. Um, so the only thing I would say is God is patient. I mean, God has been incredibly patient with me, but God is not indifferent. I mean, our decisions make a difference. Our decisions individually, whether it's to be baptized or to come here today, like as a community that buoys us up. I certainly was really inspired by a lot of people who did that. So um, I just encourage you to take that step if you are being prompted and it may or may not take you 37 years to do it, but whenever you decide to do it, you, yeah. you won't be disappointed. Yeah, the Lord makes it clear. And your bond of love with him deepens. And the bond of love that we have in community deepens as well together. So would you just, again, say thank you, Tom, for sharing your story. Thank you. Really thank you. It. Really well done. Thank you. <coughs> so I want to invite you to consider being baptized if you've not been baptized. And if you've been baptized, to think, well, I don't need to listen to this message. No, you do, because there's a communal impact for us, and that's what we want to step into. And uh, in fact, I've, I've teed up the message by just putting four questions that have come to us most frequently. And so the question I have for you, and I really appreciate a nice audible yes, are you ready to go to school today? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Let's look at the questions. The first one, who should be baptized? Really quite simply, believers in Jesus Christ should be baptized. And it's not simply cognitive assent. I believe that there's a God and that Jesus Christ is his son. No, it's far deeper than that. It is um, a, a yes to say, I receive Jesus as my savior and I follow Jesus as my Lord. That's the kind of belief that says, be baptized. And it feeds the next question. What does baptism actually mean? Well, it's an external expression of an internal reality. It's a profession of two things, identity and allegiance. Identity, I raise my hand in public and in private. I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower. I raise my hand and say, allegiance, I am devoted to follow Jesus Christ in my life. It's identity and allegiance that is the biblical um, expression of this thing called baptism. And Paul speaks to it quite powerfully when he says, don't you know that? Can we just stop there? Don't you know that? 
don't you realize, don't you know? He's calling them to take in the wonder and the awe of what has transpired in God's love revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Don't you know that? All that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Dead or death appears three times in that little paragraph. And the weight and the strength of the statement, don't you know that? Look at the call there, that you were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we may have new life as well. And so you find the identity is really powerful. It means you're identifying with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection to new life. And it means that you align with him, that you have an allegiance to him, that you'll be loyal to him, that you are a follower of Christ in his ways, which you set aside your own given ways in order to be and love like Jesus. So baptism is this external expression of an internal reality. It's about your identity. Yes, I'm not ashamed to be a Christ follower. Um, and my allegiance, I will follow you all of my days, which feeds the third question as well. So why be baptized? That's the foundation to it all. And when we have this call to follow the Lord, it's really quite compelling. There's two reasons why I want to elevate for you. The first one is Jesus was baptized. I probably could just stop there, couldn't I? <laughs> Jesus was baptized. And yet, it's kind of curious, isn't it, when you think about that? If our identity in Christ um, is found by following him in death and burial water, um, and you're immersed into it, is that picture of death to sin, the old life is gone, new life coming out. If if we're dead to our sin and Jesus was not a sinner, then why was Jesus baptized? It's curious. Makes you think a little bit. Well, he knew that we would have some tension related to that, and John the Baptist, the baptizer, the one who would baptize Jesus did too. He was a reluctant baptizer. He didn't feel comfortable with it at all. Why would I baptize you, the sinless one? Because the scripture tells us that he is without sin. So how could I baptize you? Because you didn't have sin. You're not dead to sin in this way. And Jesus gives the answer in Matthew's gospel. It is to fulfill all righteousness. It is to fulfill what had been prophesied long ago, that I am the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come to save the world, so that we who were lost could be found and be made right with God. We could live in right relationship with the living God. That was the intent. That was what was expected. And so he does this. He comes into this reality of going to the cross in order to cover our sins so that his righteousness becomes ours so we can have right standing with God. We can't do it in our own um, effort, our own credits and debts, as Tom was speaking to. We need his help in all of that righteousness. I was thinking about that in kind of a practical way and how much God loves us. Um, I, I brought my key to my car today, and there's... Um, this air tag. It's an Apple air tag. You've heard of the Apple air tag that's part of this? I was thinking about this for parents. As mom and dad, have you ever lost your child? And if you lose your child, you do everything you can to find your child. This is on my keychain because Carrie bought me this Apple. <laughs> Not that I've ever lost my keys. I, 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 okay, maybe once, <laughs> twice. 
So I'm getting you an air tag. So I'm thinking about this in connection to, to us as parents because I was having a conversation with a parent this past week who told me that they have an air tag that they put on their kid. It's a child locator. And moms and dads, you know, you, if you have kids, you've probably lost your child at least once or twice or 10 or 20 times. Some kids are just hard to keep in tow. And you're concerned when, when they get lost in a public place, you know what's happening to them. They want to find home because they're concerned. Where's mom and dad? And for us as parents, we will do everything we can to find our kids when they are lost. And I was thinking about that after that conversation with the parent, and I go, oh, there's really a powerful spiritual analogy to this because it's like God has, has given us this incredible thing called an air tag inside of our own hearts. The scriptures say that eternity is in our hearts, that every little boy and girl, every grown man and woman have eternity in their hearts. But we get wayward. We have this thing called sin. We live a life without God, and he wants us to live in right relationship with God. And because we can't see our sin, our sin gets in the way, God, by his love, gives to us his son, Jesus Christ, who comes to locate us and bring us back home. And that's what our Lord Jesus has done. So we find that Jesus is baptized. And when is he baptized? At the beginning of his ministry, when he says to the Father, yeah, I will do, I'll obey, I'll follow your will, I will go the whole distance. Not just living in our midst, but suffering on our behalf, dying for our sin, that our sin would be covered and that we would be raised up again. Jesus was baptized. And secondly, he instructed us to be baptized. And when he instructs us, it's really cool because it's always a life-changing thing. It's not like dutiful obligation. Jesus called us to do it, told us to do it, so we should do it. No, it's filled with joy, life-changing joy. And the call comes in what we know as the great commandment. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I love the orderly way by which this unfolds. Therefore, go. When you come to faith in Christ, do not keep it to yourself. Go and share that good news with others and make disciples. There will be people who listen to you and watch your life and say, I want what you have, as we heard even with Tom. And they become disciples and followers of Christ. And then in becoming disciples, baptize them because it's a marker to their identity and their allegiance. And then teach them all that I have commanded. And there's bookends to this great commandment that often are missed out. The verse that precedes this one is Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, I'm giving it to you. You're not gonna do this without me. You can't, you don't have the strength. I'll give you what you need to go as I've commissioned you to go, to see disciples made, to teach and baptize in their journey. And then the other bookend is the verse that follows this, and I will be with you until the end of the age. Now, there's a promise I'll take a hold of, right? I mean, to live your life knowing that God is with you always to the end of the age. Are you glad for that? Just a good amen there would really be good. In certain cultures, they'd be speaking to me right now. Amen and amen and amen. What a beautiful gift that is, that he's with us always. So you have this incredible picture that we get to come into this beautiful place of baptism and follow the Lord, um, and he is with us to give us the strength to do it. I'm gonna call out something in terms of our different traditions. Throughout the centuries, um, for whatever reason, 
Baptism started to be elevated more as a ceremonial expression. And it's beautiful. It truly is. And then brunch afterwards. But in the New Testament and in the early church, it was the expression of courageous people who have said, yes, I am a Christ follower, and yes, I will devote myself to the Lord to the nth of whatever he calls me to be and do. It was a weighty commitment, and it was marked the beginning of your spiritual journey with baptism. And in many cultures of the world today, it still is so. It's when you're baptized that you're set apart in a different way, even treated differently. I've shared before, I think for me, the most impactful story of baptism I've ever seen in a little village in India, remote as could be, and it was a worship service. I'm together with these beautiful Christ followers in the worship service, which by the way was three hours and 15 minutes. Just saying. <laughs> we could have lunch if you want. We turn on the Vikings, that's okay, we be together. I mean, worship is extended, it's beautiful. In the middle of it, these five Muslim men had come in and the pastor was telling me who they are. Their little church had been sharing the love of Christ with these men from a couple different villages. And they put their faith in Christ. They were fine living in their villages until the day they decided to be baptized. And this was their day. And they walked 16 miles to come to be baptized. And in that walk, they were excommunicated from their villages. Can you imagine? They couldn't go back home. I said, well, where do they go? And he said, this village becomes their new home. After the service, we walked a mile on dirt roads to see them baptized. It was a pond with cattle swimming in it. And I'm going, oh my goodness, really? And they get in, and actually there were 16 people baptized that day, but these five, um, I just took my heart right away when the pastor asked them, are you um, one who believes in God and that Jesus is his son? Yeah. Um, have you received Jesus as savior of your life and the Lord of your life, the leader of your life? Yes, we have. But the third question I have never heard at a baptism ceremony. It's the only time. I've never heard it anywhere in the world, and we don't even ask it here, but maybe we should. And the question was, are you willing to die for Jesus Christ? Wow. Now that's the heart of baptism. It's identity and it's allegiance, even unto death. Lord, I'm yours. I'm devoted to you. And they were all baptized in that given way, and it moved me deeply to see their allegiance to him. The international... Um, commentary has a, I think, a beautiful picture of what baptism is all about. I share these words with you. That plunge beneath the running waters was like death. The moment's pause while they swept overhead was like burial. The standing erect once more in air and sunlight was a species of resurrection. Oh, my friends, just... Take off your shoes and bend your knees and bow your head. This is a sacred moment to say, I belong to Jesus Christ. I am a Christ follower and I am devoted to him. My life has been changed. My old life of sin is gone. My new life in Christ is alive. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. Amen. Amen. That's the heart of what baptism was originally meant to be. So why be baptized? Because Jesus did it. He instructed us to do it as a declaration because he would use that profession to deepen our bond of love with him, with each other as a community, but others who witness it because we do it publicly will want to receive it as well. And we've seen that happen so many times. And then there's a fourth question, and that is, 
when should a person be baptized? And it's an important question and a good question. And I think it's one where most confusion has happened in church history. That most of us, as you've already indicated by raising your hands, were baptized as infants and probably sprinkled or poured with water rather than immersed fully as we practice here at Westwood. There's reasons for that. So I'm just trying to bring clarity to how this grew out of church traditions, but not necessarily were the biblical teachings or the practice of the early church. So let me just speak to infant baptism, when it got introduced, and the mode of baptism, water, when it got introduced, because I think it's helpful. The first record of an infant being baptized comes to us in the middle of the second century when the great Christian writer Tertullian gives an account. But it wasn't like it caught and was widespread. It was not until almost 100 years later, in the middle of the third century, during the Cyprian plague. And in that plague, um, which lasted almost 20 years, 5,000 people were dying in Rome every day. Over a third of the world's population died in that plague. It was devastating. And the, I think, common sense question gets raised. Well, my little baby died. What happens to my child who may have died in this plague? It created all kinds of concern and conversation in church leadership. So there was dialogue. And eventually, it moved to this decision to this practice of infant baptism. And eventually, that moved into a doctrine. And some of you grew up in a church with this doctrine called baptismal regeneration, that in the act of baptism, um, a child finds saving grace. Can you see how church tradition changed that? Because is there anything about the act of baptism that would save a child or anyone else through the act of baptism? That's an interactive question. No, no. Paul has made it clear. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any person should boast and make it about ourselves. We don't make baptism a work out of our own concern. We trust in the generous compassion and grace of God for an infant who may have lost their life, but even the thief on the cross. He didn't have the opportunity to be baptized, but the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. That's the grace of God and the compassion of God. No, infants and children who have not come to a place of being able to communicate a faith in Jesus Christ are in the mighty right hand of God's grace and compassion. I think that's where we keep them at that point. So church history brought us to this given point. In all of the New Testament and for the first two centuries of the Christian era, baptism was baptism by believers, not as infants. And when I look at some of the teaching, and just recently a report from the, co um, the Committee of Baptism, Confirmation, and Holy Communion out of the Church of England, which practices infant baptism, even recognizes that. In recent history, the dialogue goes on. And in that um, statement, they say, it is clear that the recipients of baptism are normally adults and not infants. And it must be admitted that there is no conclusive evidence in the New Testament for the baptism of infants. All we can say is that it is possible that the household said to have been baptized may have included children. So you can see some of the direction that was given there. And then baptism by immersion, just to simply say that that came into the Council of Trent in the 16th century, that they moved away from immersion as the norm. So it was the norm for a lot of centuries. And then sprinkling out of convenience became the norm and most of the practice in many of our high churches especially. So when should a person be baptized? Well, the pattern of scripture and the early church leaders um, communicated it's to believe and be baptized. In other words, it's not be baptized and believe, it's believe 
and be baptized. Declare your identity with heart, mind, and soul and be devoted to follow the Christ. And so let me just give you a quick span of some of the, the people who were baptized and when they were baptized and what they knew when they were baptized. Start with the very first baptism. The large baptism was incredible. Um, and it goes, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This was at Pentecost. So Jesus was revealed to this crowd as being the Messiah. And how did they respond? Take a look. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Do you think there was a little contagious joy in the space to have 3,000 people baptized in that given place? Oh, I wish I was there right now, but I get to feel it with you when we have crowds that are baptized as well. Or think about the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember this guy, he's, you know, he's got a driver to his chariot. He has him pull off to the side of the road, and he's opening up the Hebrew scriptures, reading from Isaiah 53. He's perplexed. What is this speaking about? The Holy Spirit speaks to Philip, a follower of Christ, down the road and says, go to the, the chariot, and you'll find the Ethiopian eunuch. And there, explain to him uh, what's going on. And the passage reads this way. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Isaiah 53, he is saying, is pointing to the Messiah. And the Messiah is this Jesus that we are giving testimony as well. And what was his response? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. He's just undone. Stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized them. He's so taken by, this is the Messiah that we've prayed for? Stop the chariot. I want to believe and identify myself as a Christ follower. I want to be devoted to him with my life. And they found the closest body of water and they made their way there. Or you take, for instance, the jailer. This, I have to set this story up a little bit. Paul and Silas had gone into this village and they're sharing the gospel of Christ as they were commissioned to do. And it didn't go very well. They got arrested. They were stripped naked. Talk about humiliation. They were flogged and beaten and put into prison. And a jailer gets assigned to them to say, you guard this so that there's no way out for them. The passage says at midnight, here they are, naked, beaten. And it says they begin to pray and sing hymns. I think about that in our own lives, and some of you are in a really hard spot in your life right now. And for whatever your suffering may be related to, could I encourage you? Pray and sing hymns. Because the goodness of God comes to you in just singing out the praise of a God who knows and understands where you're at. And the rest of those that are in the, the prison are caught up in this moment, including the jailer. And an earthquake happens, which the jailer associates with the praying and the singing of hymns, and the door opens to the jail, and he's thinking, oh no, my life is over with. But he's taken by the devout confession of praise before God, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household will be saved. That had to be one or two in the morning. Probably went and got the family out of bed, shared the gospel, and they got baptized right in that given spot. Or you take Saul, who becomes the apostle Paul, and we read this account concerning his own conversion experience. He's come now to faith. He's had the encounter with Jesus. 
Um, he, Ananias, stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Love this. And now, what are you waiting for? <laughs> what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Go do what God asked you to do, and be glad that Paul said yes to that given call, because we would not be here today if it was not for his yes. And God used that yes to bring the gospel to the world, and we get to be recipients of it. So offering babies and children is important. We just do it through child dedication rather than infant baptism. But practicing the pattern that is in the New Testament, we have upheld as being right for us to believe and be baptized. It doesn't start with baptism toward belief. And you don't have to wait till you're mature in Christ before you're baptized, because how do you know that you're ever mature enough? Believe and be baptized is the call. Okay, we've got just a short time left. Just a couple quick questions. What if I was baptized as an infant? What should I do? You should pray about being baptized as a believer. Give thanks to your mom and dad that they cared enough to have you baptized, but also understand that you didn't profess your faith. It was vicariously communicated through the faith of your parents. So say yes to Jesus, your identity, and uh, your allegiance to him. And then you could say, I've been baptized, but not by immersion. What should I do? Again, I don't want to split hairs around the mode, but I do believe that that biblical practice is a proclamation of the gospel to be immersed below the water, dead to sin, coming out. I'd encourage you to be baptized by immersion. And when do children get, or when do people get baptized at Westwood? The earliest age for us is nine. They can come to faith earlier, but at nine we feel like they can articulate their understanding of what it means. So... What's holding you back? Do a deep dive on that question. I did, I waited for five years before I was actually baptized um, by immersion. I'd been baptized as an infant. I didn't think I needed to be baptized, much like Tom. And I went into a deep dive a whole year. I did an intensive study on the subject. And I left that study with these questions. And I realized the reason I held back, I thought I would offend my mom and dad which is about offending tradition. Sometimes we make tradition more important than the biblical instruction. My mom and dad weren't even following Christ. Why was I so concerned? Uh, because it was tradition. But no, no, I'm not following tradition. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I went through that process. Do I believe in God that Jesus is the son? Yeah, I do. Have I received him as my savior and follow him as my Lord? Oh yeah, absolutely. Did I confess that faith when I was an infant? No, I didn't. I wanted that opportunity to be say, yeah, I'm a Christ follower. And yes, I am devoted to his ways. And the goodness of God is in the real of my life over and over and over again. And may that be the case for you. Consider being baptized on November 19th. You got some time to think about it and be in prayer. But um, I'm gonna go to Let's Meet and I'll be glad to entertain questions. Pastors at West Tonka and Bush Lake will do the same. Or you can go to our website. We'll be glad to answer any questions you have, but pray with me. Father God, thank you for the gift of life and love in Jesus Christ. And as we leave this place, might we leave just knowing the bond of love that is in this community of faith is of your doing. Personally, privately, yes, but collectively together. And Lord, if it be by your Spirit's prompting today to move people toward baptism, let them work through their issues, their concerns, and then say, yes, I'm a Christ follower and so glad that I am. I'm devoted to following you today 
and always because you are the one who is faithful to us. For that we give thanks in Jesus' name, amen.